Welcome to Amplified. We're the show that will help you take your message, whatever it may be, and get it out through social media, networking, and other marketing channels. Maybe even some that you've never thought of. Whether you're an organization, small or large business, or you just have the next positive message that's sure to go viral, you'll want to stay tuned this hour. Now, here's your host, Ken Rashawn. Welcome to Amplified. How exciting it is. We're doing an international show today. I met this gentleman in Dubai probably about a year or two ago at Speak in Dubai. And what a charismatic individual, a beautiful heart. He is probably one of the best speakers I've actually seen that really shows what he's about and how he wants to help people get where they want to get in life. And I'm going to go ahead and just share his bio right now. Dave Crane is a motivational speaker and trainer. He is a winner of prestigious all Alarwad, I'm going to need help with that later, Dave. MTV Award for Best Motivational Speaker and MENA, M-E-N-A, Regional 2017. Over the past 30 years, as a BBC-trained journalist and a lawyer, I was he was always looking for that one answer. How can I help individuals improve their lives, make long-lasting positive changes in theirs and their loved ones? One of the most experienced entertainers in the region with over 25 years in the industry, reaching over $8 billion, people and entertaining over 100,000 for the last 17 years at Emirates Airline Dubai Rugby Sevens. He has companies recorded 49% growth in sales in the last 12 months. With Dave, he's worked with James Brown, Bruce Willis, Sylvester Stallone, Enrique Iglesias, Sting. Uh, man, the, the list is so long here, I don't want to spend the whole time, but it, we, he has best-selling recording artist, author and journalist. He's certified NFNLP, hip the therapist, NLP master practitioner, life coach, and stage hypnotist, award-winning online motivational TV show, watched in over 144 countries. Man, I didn't even know you had reached 8 billion people already, Dave. That's phenomenal. And how many more babies do we have to have to get to 9 billion here so that you can even have more impact? (laughs) (laughs) That's something to work on for the next year. Well, we've been trying to get this show together for, I don't know, it feels like a year, and I'm so excited that we're finally having a conversation, and it's still the beginning of the year, 2018, so let's have a conversation today about, one, who you are and what you've done in life to get where you are, and let's talk to our audience about what they can do to overcome whatever's holding them back so they can have a life they love. So, Fantastic. How about we start off with uh, who you are and... Tell us a little about your childhood that actually caused you to be who you are today. Okay, can I start by saying, first of all, that it's very exciting to hear all the, the accolades and things that I've done, but it doesn't really matter. None of it matters. The only thing that matters to anybody who's listening is what's in it for them. Because if I go on about all the, the things I've done and whatever, after a while, people are going to go, yeah, 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 and then what do I get out of this? So when I get introduced on stage, uh, or when I'm doing a course, I don't tell people who I am and what I've done they can generally google it I get straight into working with them on what it is I can get for them does that make sense so I mean my background is I'll I'll go very quickly I mean my my childhood was very simple I was a black kid or a mixed race kid um, growing up in Scotland and then in England um, because I was one of the only um, only ones of my kind in the town, you learn very quickly how to fight or to run or to make people laugh. And uh, being very small and not very fast, uh, I decided to make people laugh. And so my entire childhood was uh, about creating relationships with people. And I realized later on that as an entertainer, because I was an entertainer from a very early age as well, um, then that ability to, to have insights and to work out people's reactions, people's engagement levels, a couple of moves before they knew what was going on, translates very well when you're working with a live audience. And now with my main work, which is as a motivational speaker, and I train people people to be able to speak as well, um, I just pass those insights onto people so they can get ahead of the game and become much better at uh, communicating as well. Yeah, and if you think about it, there's no one in the world that wouldn't benefit from learning how to be a better communicator and having a presence on stage because their life uh, steps up to another degree, right? 
I think we're in a strange part of our lives right now um, and a strange part of history because we're going through a fourth industrial revolution and we're now going into a digital world in a way that we've never had it before. Figures say something crazy like um, in the next 20 years, 47% of the jobs that we know right now won't exist in the same way. And also 63% of the jobs that are coming haven't been invented yet. Now, that also means a lot of leisure time, a lot of changes. In two years' time, they say the most powerful skills that anybody will have are going to be the soft skills. You know, being creative, um, being able to manage people, being able to understand, being able to, to solve problems, and, of course, being able to do public speaking. So I think that... Um, we've got a combination of, of the time that we're in, but also the leveling that's going to happen across every industry. Uh, and if you're aged, say, 35 plus to about, say, 55, and that's your normal big hitting range um, in the industry, then those are the jobs that are going to be suffering most. I would say maybe 45 to 55 is the biggest worry. Because you've got to a point of being a CEO, decision maker, being tough, being strong, having had experience at everything, you know how to deal with any eventuality. So if you have a problem with a hostile takeover bid, you've got your management around you and they'll say to you, right, boss, what do we do? You say, I've had this before. This is what we do. Well, now they don't need you to say anything. They can Google I mean, go to LinkedIn and read 20 articles on it or Forbes. I mean, find out the best way to move forward with any business situation. And it's a lot cheaper than asking for your services. So therefore, a lot of people who are slightly older and in the old sort of um, knowledge experience um, business model were able to get themselves to a really high position in industry. They're finding now that people are learning on the go. And so knowledge doesn't mean anything. It's your ability to apply and take action and get results. That makes a bigger difference. And so one of the worries that they have, and they should really be paying attention to it, is young people coming through who are a lot cheaper, a lot greener, but also the figures add up a lot better. Get four of them and they can replace. But what I find fascinating about that whole thing is I was in the UK about, say, maybe uh, over Christmas, which uh, when you listen to this, it, it was about three, four weeks ago. Uh, and an article that was on the BBC News was saying that millennials, which are people who are aged between, between say, 21 and 35, for many of them, they're in a trap where they're never going to earn really good money. They're stuck living at the parents' house. You can't start a family. You're just interwoven with everything. And the biggest windfall that they're going to get is actually at the average age of 66 when their parents pass and they inherit the house. So it's a very strange time. And I think that one of the key things is being able to communicate and having really strong soft skills that allow you, whatever happens around you, you can still create relationships that will turn into business for you. So let's, uh, let's visit that with some examples. So in 2018, we have people that are feeling like they're not making what they want to make and they're, they feel overwhelmed with too much information, too many things to do. So how do you approach that? I think that there's a, a number of things that are happening right now. I think we have a real opportunity of social media to connect with people and create relationships with people all around the world. But don't waste their time. Like I said at the very beginning of today's session, it doesn't matter who I am and what I do. People can find that out. But everyone's going to say, what's in it for me? So when you deal with people, think what's in it for me? What's in it for them? And that's how you should start every conversation and every relationship. I think 2018 is an age where there's a classic cartoon, which you may have seen and certainly it'd be available on Google Images, where it's got two guys in the forest and one's putting on his training shoes. There's a bear or a lion just behind them. And yeah. the other guy's turning around. Do you know the one I mean? I love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's incredible. And the, and if you've never seen the, 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 the cartoon, I'll just explain. One of them saying, why are you putting on your uh, training shoes? You'll never outrun a bear. And he says, well, I don't have to. I just have to outrun you. And I that's think right. that's exactly what we've got in the, in the world right now. We've got a lot of people who, A, are avoiding social media, B, are scared to connect, or C, have got their hands over their ears going, the world's not changing. It's going to stay exactly the way it was when I went to university. And those days are gone. It's changing at such a speed. You've got to hold on to the furniture and be prepared to change it and change with it as it goes. 
I, I totally agree with you. I was just starting the phone with uh, Fios, which is, I don't know, Verizon Fios. Are you familiar with that? Sure. Okay. So they were telling me how out of date my remote was, how out of date all these things were. And I haven't, I haven't changed it for five years. So they're sending me all this stuff for free. And it's costing me maybe $9 more to be like twice as fast. I have all these extra features, six DVR. So it, it just blows my mind how just being out of touch with technology can really hamper your abundance. Could you give our audience a couple of uh, real solid things they could actually do that would be real social media and real technological advances for them? Yeah, absolutely. I think the main thing, and this is something that I think will appeal to everybody, and it's probably a big smile that I bring across most faces. See, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I'm not the most talented guy in the world. And I know there's a lot of people who will be able to do what I do without any effort, but I'm really prepared, as Will Smith says, to outwork any of them. I work harder than any of my so-called competitors. In fact, I don't even see them as competition because I encourage them to beat me. I actually wrote an article all about it. If you are trying to compete with me, please do your very best because I've got to step up my game. I think that in terms of the way that social media goes, there's, there's four, well, in fact, there's more than that. There's about 10 trends, I won't get into all of them, that people should be aware of. In fact, if I name them now, but I'll go through very quickly, but I won't spend a lot of time on them because we can re- return to any of them. In 2018, you should be thinking digital. You should be prepared to interact with and be aware of, uh, number one, artificial intelligence. Number two, the Internet of Things. Number three, the use of digital twins, which is basically um, having business models that, that are made on a computer that tells you how your company will run without having to actually do it with people. You should be aware of the power of using voice in conversational platforms and Siri and the growth of that. You should consider cryptocurrency and blockchain and how that's going to change things. You should look at how your business can be existing if it's transformed into a digital arena. You should grow your brand. This is at number seven, by the way. Your personal branding is very important. You need to have a digital intelligence, which falls into emotional intelligence, social intelligence. You now need to have a digital intelligence of how it all works out there. If you have all these, consider a new role, which will be a digital, a chief digital officer in companies. Once upon a time, it was a social media manager. That's evolving, so we've got a bigger idea of how it all comes together, including the soft skills. And the last thing is continuous education. Number 10, always, always keep learning. We made a mistake years ago of going to university, graduating, and saying, you know what, I'm done now. No, 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 no. Because one of the things is, when you're of a certain age, the the figures said that 3% of people are into personal development. And that was true for for a very long time. But that's before smartphones. Every single millennial is watching videos on YouTube, sharing ideas, having memes every morning that appear on their Facebook or their Instagram or Snapchat, and they comment on them. So they're in a different learning environment than we were going through uh, when we decided to hang up our, our learning glasses and take it easy. So you've got to get back into the game, back into the arena and keep moving forward. It's a lot easier than you'd think, but also it can be a lot more daunting as you get on new technology as well. So that list of 10 things, uh, is that something that people can get their hands on? I'll send it to you. I'll, I'll, I'll send it directly to you. So if you want to share it with people on the page, they're very welcome to have a copy of it. Well, I bloody want to share it with people. And that's, Absolutely. that's, that's very, very important. So you live in Dubai. So while we're talking to you in the morning and hearing you in the morning, it's the evening for you. Why did you change Dubai? Um, Dubai kind of popped up on a radar for me during the last big recession in the UK, uh, one of the last big recessions. It was 1993. I've been here about 25 years. And 1993, we'd been through a real challenging time uh, financially right across the board. And I was working for the BBC at the time as a news reporter and basically chasing my own tail. The opportunities were few and far between. The, um, Britain wasn't really um, looking forward to having many changes at that time. And I just gave up. I thought I'd go on a world tour. And my girlfriend at the time said, have you heard of Dubai? And I thought, ooh, you can't go out there. You're going to get blown up and treat people badly and all the rest of it. Um, and she said, no, 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 no. You've got no idea what you're talking about. So I took it. Once you decided you're going to leave, it's, you will go to the first place it comes up. So a job came up in Dubai. I came out here. 
and I couldn't believe what an amazing place it was. 25 years ago, they had game, they had ideas of changing the game that the rest of the world hadn't even considered. I remember when I became a stage hypnotist, I went and trained in Las Vegas, and everybody introduced themselves. And I said, I'm from Dubai, I'm actually British, but I live in Dubai, and it's one of the most amazing places in the world. And everyone scoffed. We've never heard of Dubai, that's ridiculous, no chance. And then a couple of years later, I started getting messages from people going, Ah, I get it now. Now, one of the things about Dubai that I, I find so fascinating is it's a benevolent, democ- I mean, a benevolent, a benevolent dictatorship. You've ultimately got a royal family who are in charge of everything, but they care about their country, they care about their people, and they care about the expats. So when they make a decision, they hang it on business. So as long as you can still do business out here, they'll give you the safest possible environment, the best schools, the best opportunities for you to grow what you want. And they will run alongside it by saying, this is Dubai, the world's paying attention, we give you the best address or one of the best addresses that you can have on the planet from which you can sell your wares, just behave. And they make it very easy to be here. And it's expensive, yeah, I'll grant you that. But all you have to do, as I say, is outwork. Everybody's got the ability to earn more money, but you can get yourself in a rut thinking that, you know, you're only allowed to have so much. People who lose their jobs start looking for a new job and they look for the same wage bracket as what they got lost, what they lost before. Why would you limit yourself like that? Just because you were taught to be like that at school? Well, the world's not like that. You can have anything you want. You can even be president, but let's not go there. So I think the opportunities, we've never had so many before. Totally agree, and I, I want to say something about Dubai that kind of, maybe our listeners don't aren't aware of this, but when I was there, speaking Dubai, we went to, we went from place to place, as you know, and I had, you know, bags of tech, I had bags of cameras, I had bags of clothes, bags of books, and so my luggage, my biggest luggage piece had my computer and my colleague's computer, and I thought she was taking care of the, the luggage, and we got a limo ride from where we were doing that uh, Google speaking engagement and then we mm-hmm. moved to to the karaoke club if you recall and yep the the limo driver pulled everything out of the uh, limo and put her on the sidewalk well i went to the club with my three pieces of uh, luggage and she went with her two or three and we did a count and i was like hey where's the big the big big piece of luggage and she we both said at the same time i thought you had it so this is 20 minutes into being at the club and some big piece of luggage is on the side of a street and I had my heart going like crazy because her computer was in the bag uh, in that particular luggage and so much other stuff. I mean, I wouldn't have been able to change. I didn't have anything else with me for that particular part of the journey. And I ran as fast as I could from the club to the street, which is probably a good, I don't know, six blocks, maybe eight blocks. And I get there and the luggage is sitting there with all these people just staying waiting for rides or getting on buses or whatever. <laughs> and, I, and I couldn't believe it. And you know, is it true there's almost like literally no crime and no homeless? Well, no, it's not true. But what they do very well is they make it so um, it's got a perception of that. I mean, let's take it to, to New York many years ago when uh, Rudolph Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani had to fix the problems that they had in the subways where everything was getting smashed and it was crime-ridden and lots of problems. He made a point of making people clean up. So fix all the windows on the trains so it doesn't look like there's any damage. And what happens is people start respecting stuff better. So in Dubai, it's got very much the same kind of attitude. Yeah, there are, there are plenty of policemen around, but you get that in every country. But they're, they're friendly people. I've never met such friendly police in all my life as you get here. The, I mean, I would say non-confrontational. They're not here to say, look at me, I'm a policeman, I'll teach you what to do. They're very much like custodians of the country, and right. uh, they want to help you find what you need to find. And it doesn't surprise me to be to tell me the story about the stuff being left on the pavement, because it's not worth anyone's, uh, anyone's interest to take it, because if they get caught, they'll go to prison, or they'll get thrown out of the country. Now, one of the beautiful things about this country, and it, it is a little bit cutthroat in the fact that <laughs> if you are here without a, a job, then within a short amount of time, you won't be able to pay your rent, you won't be able to pay your way, you won't be able to do little visa runs in and out of the country to refresh your visa, so you have to go. But what you end up with is a country where everybody is like all the kids at school who used to hand their homework in. Everybody has a job mentality. They want to, to 
still keep working, looking out for people, um, and earn money. Nobody's here to freeload or to, to, to sponge off the system because there's no system for them. So you end up in a situation where everybody is working. So it doesn't surprise me that they wouldn't risk their family's livelihood or their own ability to, to, to earn by taking somebody else's property. Now, I'm not saying there is no crime. I'm not saying there aren't things that go on. But certainly you don't live in any fear of it. My daughter, my wife, they can go out at any time of day unaccompanied by me. And I know that they'll come back safe and sound regardless. And you've traveled a lot, and I, I don't know if you know this, but I've been to over 100 countries, and so when I say Dubai really stands out as a place that's safe, it is, is in a big comparison. And ironically, there's a little city in, in uh, the United States I live near, it's called Baltimore, and it has one of the highest crime rates in the United States. It's like number two or three. But here's what's weird, is that in Baltimore City, it's called Charm City, and in Dubai, you just explained how the police officers are, and they're actually quite identical. I don't know how that's possible, but if I go to a police officer in Germany or a lot of other places, I say, can you hold up this key smiling card? They'll say, no, I can't. I mean, almost emphatically, quickly, no, I can't. In Baltimore City, they say yes, and I know in Dubai they would say yes. They'd say, yeah, I'd love to hold a card up that says keep smiling and, and show the positive message. And that com- Sorry. I was going to say, say, a lot of that comes down to the leaders of the country, and uh, they they have a really, really powerful attitude towards, let's be custodians, let's welcome our guests to our country. If we want to grow it, people have to come here and feel like it's their country too. And they drive that from the very top. I could show these stories, but I won't do, in case I'm not factually completely correct, about about the rulers here who've gone, gone into government offices and kicked off big time when they feel that they're not open enough and transparent enough for people to get things done. I mean, it's, it's really warming to think that they really have their fingers on the pulse and want to make sure that business does get done. I mean, it's driven by business, ultimately, if you don't want to do business when you have to go. But if you do and you want to have the livelihood, that's nice. It's a really good place to be. Well, you shared with our very intimate group, I think it was 30 or 40 people at that speak in Dubai. You shared some of the large events you do and that how you apply for them and that you might be in front of a stage. I mean, in front of a, an, a, uh, an entire stadium of, I don't know, was it 30,000? Tell how you got in that particular space. Okay, I mean, probably the biggest event I've done is the Dubai Rugby Sevens, uh, Emirates Airline Dubai Rugby Sevens, which is, I mean, now you've got it in Vegas. In fact, you've got the World Cup coming to Vegas um, in about a month or so's time. Rugby Sevens is like American football. It's very fast. There's no, there's no body armor involved at all, but it's a really fast game of sprinters with no break. So you're looking at a 15-minute game and you've got to outscore everybody, which is very exciting. But one of the things I realized in the very early days is however good the game is, your average audience does not care. They just want to enjoy the party. Again, question what's in it for me. They want to enjoy the party. If the sport's good, great. If the sport's bad, great. And so my, my role is very much about conducting the best way to give them a party so when the sport comes along, they love that as well. And that's... Not so much a challenge. I've done it for 17 years now, um, but it's really interesting to do. And I've seen people um, walk on to the pitch and get the wrong idea about engaging the audience and get thrown just a whole rain of cans at them, Heineken cans, like in, in 300 when the arrows come over. And so it's quite easy to get wrong. Um, but I've been quite lucky so far in the fact I've got a pretty good formula and a pretty good relationship with the audience. Uh, and so it's good to get it right. I mean, what were yeah. the things that... Sorry, go on. I was going to say, when you say to get it right, tell, tell me an example of how you get it right with them. What's the what's well, thing that you do? Well, the key to any audience is you train them or they will train you. So if you don't go out and let them know straight away that you're in charge, but you are benevolent, you are, you're warm, you're caring, you'll give them a great time, they just have to let you do it, and then you keep checking all the time to make sure that they're happy with what it is that you're doing, and you can do it. It's a conversation with them, not you versus them. Even when you're doing a keynote presentation, you're joining them, it's interactive, even if they don't speak. And so 
They've got to have faith and trust in, in that. And if you don't get it, then they zone out. And that's one of the worst things you could ever have. If you go out and they're all talking to themselves and there's that murmur, you cannot get it back. So from the very beginning, use everything you can to make it work. I had a really interesting, challenging time when I was in Rio in Brazil about three, four weeks ago. I was hosting a big cryptocurrency event with about 2,000 people. And... We had about 1,500 of the audience um, only spoke Portuguese. So we had a lot of banks set up um, with translators in. It's for a product called uh, Dascoin, like Bitcoin. So we've got, um, we've got all these people arriving, putting on headsets and sitting down. Now, I've got to go out and engage the audience. And normally you go out and you'll, you'll, you'll fumble local names, but you'll make an effort and they'll warm to it and so on. But I realized very quickly that everything I said had to go through translators who may or may not have a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. They may sound like Siri, or they may have their own version. Most of them are female, so it's not going to sound like me with the male um, way that I put it across. And there's always going to be a delay of a few seconds for them to translate what I've said. So if I speak quickly, like I'm doing right now, then the things that they had to say, they wouldn't get a chance to translate, so I'd miss half the conversation. So I had to slow it right down, I had to make it as plain as possible. I had to make it interactive by being warm on stage and using plenty of welcoming body language, but without expecting the audience to cheer or clap or do a Mexican wave or a Brazilian wave or anything you'd normally do to engage an audience. So it was, re- it was, it was, like, doing a, it was like doing a live audience behind a glass panel. A really interesting way to run an evening. So um, it was about four, maybe five hours worth of, of, of experience. Um, and I found it challenging, but wonderful. Really enjoyed it. And, and that's really the key, isn't it? To actually be in tune, as you said before, on what's in it for them. 100%. If you get the actual way that the audience is and play that then that's the way it works. You work out your best version of you and people will warm to you. I get a lot of my clients who come to me and I work with a lot of VIPs and government officials and so on, um, you know, um, vice presidents and so on, who, who turn around and say, look, I don't know if they're going to understand what it is I'm saying. People will find a way. They'll really warm to the way that you talk if you're being honest and you're sharing something that's of use. I mean, the pinnacle of speaking at the moment, right or wrong, is TED Talks. If you've been a TED, on a TEDx or a TED Talk, then you must be the best in the world. But most of the speakers on TED are not actually that good in terms of stagecraft, engagement, but they're fascinating in their content. You'll sit and you'll watch them and you'll take away all your disbeliefs and all your they look a bit weird type type thoughts because what they're going to share with you will really advance your knowledge of any particular subject and that's true for a live audience as well whenever you engage them you have to keep it's like a live cooking show where you keep testing to see the temperature of the food does it need a bit more spice to it um do i need to add more ingredients that's a live show whatever you're doing you keep engaging the audience and checking and after a while they will you'll, you'll set up a feedback loop with them so you'll know very easily how to lift them up how to drop them down and how to take them to new places you know uh you're a best-selling author artist and journalist so your books are on amazon um they're going to be very soon uh i've got a new one coming up i'm working on all about speaking i think it's gonna be called the rebel mc that's kind of cool and i've got one called happy birthday this is the best present you're ever gonna get and that'll be on amazon we're looking to launch it very soon um, so I would guess by the time that we got this up and running uh, and out to people, uh, shortly after that, you'll be able to, I'll probably send it, I'll send you a link of how to get it anyway. And that's a reinvention book. Um, I thought about writing a book for people for New Year, because that's when people decide to go for a real change in their lives. I mean, I realized I'm only going to sell this book at Christmas. When am I going to sell, how am I going to do better? So I created it as a happy birthday book, because whenever you go for your birthday, especially when you get older, you look in the mirror, you see all the bags, and you say, how do I make it better? And so this book is aimed at that. It's aimed at giving you a crash course in making a much happier life immediately. Well, you know, this interview could be, and this conversation could be a couple hours, because there's so many things I want to ask you. So let's uh, cut to a couple of things that allow our audience to learn about some people you've worked with as well as just find out who you loved working with. So I didn't even read the whole list of people. In fact, I didn't even know all the people on that list. So first of all, who who, have, who are a couple of people you've really enjoyed working with and why? Um, well, the biggest name is probably James Brown who uh, or Robert Plant or Sting. 
Enrique Iglesias. I mean, my, my background is, before I got into doing what I'm doing now, and I love what I do now more than anything in the world, but before, I used to be a radio um, presenter. Um, and I'm one of the top DJs in, in Dubai. I was actually with BBC in the UK before that. And so what happened was anytime you got an artist coming into town and they're doing a live show, they'd throw Dave at it. So I would go on stage and work the audience. And sometimes you get to spend quality time with the artists and sometimes you don't. Sometimes they just whiz in and they look at you and they go on stage and leave. And you go, okay, that was, uh, I won't say who, um, Kanye West. Um, but sometimes <laughs> it, it, could be, it could be anybody. And, and sometimes you get the opportunity to meet some amazing people um, who really have got over themselves and have a lot to share. James Brown was really giving. He was a really, really nice guy. Um, and a, a lot of the stars are like that. But, you know, when you get a taste of fame, and I, I won a, a TV show before I left the UK called uh, Blind Date. I think the dating game is a similar thing in the US. And I won the Christmas show and I had about 25 million people watching. And the next day, because it was pre-recorded, the next day I went shopping, but everyone thought I'd gone on the, the date with the girl that I won with. Um, but that had all been pre-recorded earlier. And the next day I'm walking around in shopping malls and people are looking at me. I'm getting all these really strange stares. And it's not stares like, oh, I recognize you. It's just blank. It's like when you see a zombie movie and they realize that somebody's just walked in the middle of a shopping mall and that's their next dinner. It was really weird, and re I found it unpleasant and intimidating to the point where I can't even imagine what it would be like to be a celebrity nowadays and, and, and have to deal with that every single day. Everywhere you go, people are staring at you. doesn't matter how much money you've got, how, much, how many holidays you can take, wherever you go, there's paparazzi waiting and people judging who you are, whether you're a good person or a bad person. And most people are good people. It doesn't matter. You've said something once and they've already decided whether you're worth living or, or not. And it's really strange because our entire world and our entire commercial world is driven by one thing. Become rich, live in an ivory tower, the world will love you. But we're not genetically built to be like that. We're meant to be in roving tribes of maybe 60, 70 people, all interwoven, all knowing each other, all caring about each other, all of us having a little bit of fear, all of us having a little bit of hunger, but all of us caring about each other and knowing as a unit, if we care about each other, we will survive. One of the things that's really strange about public speaking, and I heard his theory on the Joe Rogan podcast, which is fascinating, saying that um, apparently one of the only times that cavemen got, cavemen um, were, got a fear of public speaking, or we got a fear of public speaking from cavemen days, when the only time you talk to an audience is when you're about to be kicked out of a tribe. So you'd have to justify who you are and why you should stay in. Whether you'd killed somebody or stolen or whatever you'd done, then of course if you're kicked out of a tribe, you're dead. You can't survive and sleep and hunt and do stuff on your own. So that would have a natural fear built in. And the last thing you want is to have to justify yourself to the tribe. So there's a lot built into us that justifies us being together. If you're living in an apartment block and everybody lives on top of each other virtually. If you're not well, your neighbors will check, are you okay? Well, I'm not feeling well today, but don't worry, we'll bring around some soup, we'll pick up the kids from school today, and we'll check on you later on. That kind of thing is what makes us live. But we don't do that. We're all pushing for something different to be on our own. And that's why the highest suicide rate is, is white middle-class males who are quite affluent. Because it's not about that. It's about creating a relationship with people around you, diverse and sharing ideas and caring for each other. And that's exactly the opposite of what society that we live in is set to do. If you don't have the latest phone or the latest car, you're not anybody. And like you said earlier, Ken, you know, okay, you didn't know you didn't have the latest gear. But do you remember when Nokia meant phone and you got this little sort of brick thing that would need charging in about five days and all you did was text and pick it up, but you could drive a car over it and it'd still be okay. Those weren't bad phones. <laughs> yes, indeed. And they've come quite a long way. I wanted to ask you, uh, <laughs> since, you since you've worked uh, with some of these key people, I wanted to know like a couple of nuggets you got. So... What was the nugget you got from, for instance, James Brown or Bruce Willis or Sylvester Sloan? Well, <laughs> <laughs> it starts getting really dicey because I don't want to get yeah, I, I want it to be. Anybody. 
I'm sure it is. Um, I can let's. I'm trying to think of, of, of something I can say about some somebody that would not get me into any trouble at all. I can tell you, Robert Plant from Led Zeppelin wouldn't go on stage until he had a grey T-shirt. One that was completely it didn't no logos, no nothing, and he sent the team around looking for it because that's exactly what he wanted. Which made me think oh, it's a good job he didn't order M and M's because if he takes <laughs> all the purple ones out, that could last forever. Um, let's see who we got. I mean, guys like the Prodigy. I don't know if you know, there's a group called the Prodigy. We were really big in the nineties, um, and I mean, one of the best live bands I I've ever started. seen. Firestart, exactly. Um, they arrived at a massive rider of the biggest drinks cabinet I've ever seen in my entire life. They arrived about half an hour before they went on stage, and all the roadies are saying, great, we can, we're never going to get through this. We have a party tonight. They polished it, went on stage, and I've never, had, I've never experienced such an amazing set as those guys were live. They were absolutely astounding. And the, the guitarist, for instance, and they played everything live, thrashed away his guitar, broke it, grabbed a new one, carried on, thrashed another one. It was just a, an amazing show. So that, that was fascinating. Um, Enrique Iglesias, just a, a real gentleman, really chilled out, very calm guy. Um, who else going to talk about? Sting, again, another complete gentleman, told me at the time when I interviewed him, he'd never get back together again with the police. You know, he'd moved on. I'd never, ever be seen on stage. I mean, a couple of years later, on stage, I think money talks a lot. Um, and <laughs> How about Sylvester Stallone? Sylvester Stallone, again, another sweetheart, really nice guy. I tell you, he was one of the nicest guys. And I met Sylvester Stallone, Bruce Willis, um, and Wesley Snipes, and Cindy Crawford at the opening of Planet Hollywood in Dubai. And one of the nicest guys out of all of them was, was Patrick Swayze, who's no longer with us, unfortunately. unfortunately. What a genuine gentleman who didn't he had as much time as it took just to talk to people there was no airs and graces he hung around with everyone he chatted he drank and he just spent time just being with people and that's actually quite rare and i think that when you one of the things i love about dubai is when you have a superstar come to Dubai, if they act like a superstar, then they've missed a the point. You've got 200 different nationalities here, and most of them have no idea who you are or why you think you're great. So therefore, a lot of celebrities hide in Dubai because they can go shopping, and maybe one or two people will recognize them. Most people won't. So they're kind of insignificant and sort of like uh, undercover in a way they won't be in their own home country. And so Dubai is a very leveling place doesn't matter how big you are in your own country, you can come here and disappear. And that's why we get so many stars coming here on holiday. And you wouldn't even know they were here unless you actually had just seen their movie and were stood next to a poster. Well, I know you put some people that you've worked with that are very significant because you wouldn't have put them otherwise. But I didn't know some of these names. And for the, uh, the purpose of actually acknowledging them since they're on your sheet and also for our audience to learn about people they may not know about, Amitabh Bachchan is probably the biggest film star in the world. He's from Bollywood. And he is like, like a Robert De Niro in Bollywood movies. That's India. And uh, he's been around for many decades. He's from a family of, of, of superstars. His, 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 his children are superstars as well. And literally, if he decides something happens, it will happen. And so, I mean, again, Planet Hollywood who's brought over um, uh, to open that. And I've never seen anybody with so much stage presence. He's got this big, booming voice. And I didn't really know his stuff before. Um, but the minute he opened his, his mouth and started speaking, forget the audience reaction. He was just so powerful at commanding them. It was a real treat to see him do, do his stuff. Jim Curry, you'll know from tennis. Jim Curry, um, um, yes. tennis champion. Um, he was running an event called um, Legends Rock Dubai. And yes. it was a number of famous uh, players like Stefan Edberg and Pat Cash and, uh, and, and numerous um, tennis players. And I can't play tennis to save myself, but I was hosting the event, so I spent some quality time with these guys, and they're all really nice, and, and they're massive. I didn't realize how tall and how, how strong tennis players are. They're all like giraffes, and so <laughs> you don't mess with them, but they're, I mean, really nice, talented, fun guys, really cool. Well, I, I watch a lot of Bollywood films, so I actually know the person you're speaking of now. I didn't know the connection. So who, who are some people that you'd like to meet? What are, do you have any goals this year of who you're going to hopefully meet and 
work with? Um, I take it as it comes, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm, I'm 50 now. I don't really care. Um, there are a number of people I'd, I'd like to interact with. Uh, I'd like to just be on their radar, but it's not that important. I mean, one of the things that really is important to me is my family. I mean, I go out and I entertain people for a living. I can go out in front of a couple of thousand people. Rugby Sevens go out in front of forty-five to 50,000 people. But it's when you go home and you close the doors and the, only the people that you really want to can come into play. You know, the people that really care about you, regardless of who you are and what you do, they're the ones that, that are real quality. I've got a handful of friends that I would, I mean, only a handful, I would say, despite knowing so many people, that I would easily take a bullet for without thinking about and would do it for me. And I think that that's a quality of life. And ultimately, what you aim for is to know the people that you really care. I mean, I've got beautiful wife who, who strange enough about two days ago won a uh, award as the best wedding photographer in in the country which is really cool i'm really proud of her i've got my beautiful daughter maya who's seven i've got my two dogs in the house i've got a, a, a um a black um belgian shepherd and a white swiss shepherd and that's that's my little uh, nuclear family really chilled out we enjoy our life and that's it well, I mean, at the end of the show, I typically say, what are you most proud of? And a lot of people say that the people in their family. So if you'd like to get a, give a personal shout out to them and tell them how much you care about them. And with it being Valentine's this month, if you want to say something like that. Well, at the time of speaking, it's Valentine's Day tomorrow. And so, oh, I don't know what I'm going to say. Um, I could tell you what I've bought her, but then she'll <laughs> find out because she's probably listening. So I'll leave it at that. But I mean, I don't think it's the case... I, don't, I think that your actions every day prove who you are. I think that um, words are flowery and they can make a difference. And they're very important, certainly, in self-programming and reaching an audience. But it's the things that you truly do that make a real lasting impression. And people can tell when you care. And for your family, they want to know that anyway. You know, you want to know that you feel like you're home with those people wherever you are. And, uh, I mean, it's a, very, it's a very strong truth that you will live longer in a strong relationship by about 10, 20 years, if you're in a loving relationship, than if you're not. And it's a bizarre fact, and you can Google it, but if you're in a loving relationship, you'll live 10 to 20 years longer than if you're single and decide that you're, you're going to keep who you are to yourself. It's just something about constantly recharging your batteries with things that make you feel better. You get less ill. You get less heart attacks. You're less prone to, to cancer and other things when you're in a loving relationship because those things don't manifest in your body quite as easily because being in love or being going home and somebody's caring for you and you're caring for them is like the best way to, to, to heal yourself. It's like a warm blanket of love. And I'd always encourage people, even if it's just with your dog or your cat, appreciate love and appreciate abundance. And there's a wonderful world out there. One of the first things I'd say to everybody, stop watching the news. I've stopped watching. I was a news journalist for the BBC for like five years or so. News is only there as bad news. It's there to sell bad ideas and, and bad things that go on because you're not built to like good news. And so constantly you think the world's a terrible place and bad things are going to happen. It's not. Your world is great and you're surrounded by really cool people. And if you're not, then get rid of them and get some cool people. But why should you let something in a different country or something that happens to somebody else affect you? I'm not saying you shouldn't care about people. But don't allow it to program your subconscious mind so you're constantly thinking it's going to happen to you because then you'll start looking for it subconsciously. It's like when you buy a new car, you start seeing that car everywhere. And it's not, it's not that there's any more on the roads, but your mind is a supercomputer. And the more you tell it, if you don't program it, other people will program it for you. So if you say the world's a terrible place, it'll start looking for examples saying the boss says the world's a terrible place. So what you're going to do is, is love the world, look for opportunities to, to make more uh, and, and, and make people's lives better. You should always leave everybody you meet a little bit better than when you first left them, even if it's just when you first met them. Even if you go to a, a, um, a fast food place and you say thank you so much to the person who served you or a waiter or you go and buy petrol and you, or you let somebody in when you're driving, leave everybody a little bit better off and it leaves vibes and it leaves a, a, an aura around you that people will gravitate towards and they'll do the same for you. If you're cold, you're angry, you're surrounded by the, the, the worst news and you're worried about it, people avoid you. And you also feel rotten. So I would always recommend to everybody, love everybody, not like stupidly, but love people because it makes you better as well.
Great advice. And how about some uh, food content that we can tell them that you've read or watched? Any uh, movies or books you would recommend for our audience that would change their life? Okay. I mean, I worked with, uh, when you start talking about um, stars, I about two, about, about 10 years ago, I really got into personal development. So I worked with Jack Canfield, Brian Tracy, a number of these guys, and, and I was a massive fan of each of them. Um, Dr. John Gray, um, and, and a number of, of, of these uh, well-known uh, motivational speakers and gurus and, and superstars. Any of their books. I mean, one of the books that changed my life was um, The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. An amazing way. If you want to kickstart your life and reinvent it, start with that book. And it's easy, even for somebody like me who just you know has to draw pictures to understand it. Um, you, you find an easy way working through that. I would say that's a, a, a great starter. Um, but all the time, I mean... I'm actually very excited because a movie's coming out which is very close to my heart. That most people just go, really? But there's a movie due out which is a Marvel movie called The Black Panther. And it was mm. the first book I ever got about 45 years ago. My parents wanted me to start reading books. So they started off by giving me comics. But all they did was make me buy comics and read comics. And one of the first characters was, was Black Panther, who I, I adored because not only was he one of the only black superheroes and I've been told by my daughter to say brown now one of the first brown superheroes um, but he was also one of the coolest ones and I watched the Marvel growing universe for a very long time waiting for him to appear and the reviews have been fantastic from people and it's a little pilgrimage for me to go to the cinema and experience that movie which I've been waiting for for a very long time and the great thing about nowadays is you can mention superhero movies and people don't think he's some kind of like baby they go oh yeah they're really cool because most people are drinking the same Kool-Aid as me so that's kind of cool as well well it's good that Black Panther wasn't rushed because the technology and the cinematography and the the virtual reality everything they're doing with that show has got people lining up to see it it's it's apparently flawless I can't wait to see it myself absolutely I think we're living, going for a very strange change in many different ways and a lot of the barriers and the ways old the, the old ways people are thinking about race and about sexism and misogyny those are those are changing and I find it fascinating and I think it's an amazing thing that we're getting a real leveling across the board anybody who used to pigeonhole people or say that some people are better than others the evidence is there that we're all able to do amazing things so maybe hopefully we'll be able to see people who are judged by their character and by their merits uh, and not just by other people's opinions well i think social media has been a, a groundbreaking part of actually bringing an equalizer because you can have someone that has the most amazing idea and when you read the idea you don't always know who it was from originally and then you find out who it was from and you're like wow i was wrong about that that demographic for instance and one of the fascinating things I heard many years ago, probably going back about 10, 20 years ago, is about reincarnation, that you actually don't live after you die, but your ideas do. And so therefore, your job is to spread as many ideas as you can do. And so therefore, those things will live on and pass on after you go. No, it's, <laughs> I will never find out whether that's true or not, but it's an interesting concept <laughs> to have. So what's uh, the big plan for you in 2018? 2018, I've got a number of things lined up. I've got um, I've got some events coming up in Seychelles, Maldives, Vegas, London, uh, and a number of things I'm working on in Dubai. I'm also um, working on my my speaker training course, which will be online soon. So anybody who wants to learn to to do public speaking can do it remotely. Uh, so that's going to be fascinating. I travel a lot with it, but I'd also want to be able to help people who can't make it to Dubai, uh, and if I can't make it to their particular hometown. Um, a lot a, a lot of um, new material coming out, writing a book that should be out soon with Rebel MC, all about public speaking. But I'm very open to new ideas. I want to just help as many people as I can do. And uh, hopefully just through, through speaking and sharing and coaching. Um, what, one of the fascinating things was an interview with Kate, um, Jack Ma, who's the, the CEO and founder of Alibaba, who are one of the big tech giants based from China. But I mean, it's got something like 65,000 employees and they make billions of dollars. And interestingly enough, 49% um, of his workforce are female. And he swears by the fact that their growth 
um, as a company is because of the sensibilities that the ladies bring to, to the organization. But he said a very fascinating thing about how people's lives should flow. He said between the age of 20 to 30, and you can look it up online, really interesting interview at the World um, Economic Forum, I think it was, recently. And so he said between the age of 20 and 30, you should get yourself in a job where you can learn from somebody and be mentored from the age of 30 to 40 take some risks you will mess up you will have your company fold on you you'll lose money but you'll learn and you can do it at that age when you get from 40 to 50 your role is very much about specializing in what you've learned that you're best at and making your money through doing that from 50 to 60, you have to teach people. You know what you're talking about. Coach the next generation of people and share your experiences with, with them. And then from 60 to 70, he says, look after your grandchildren, spend time with them and learn. And I don't know how realistic that is in the fact that the older that you get, I think with, with CRISPR technology, which is going to allow us to change our DNA by computer, and with the fact that with 3D printing, we'll be able to re replenish cells, replenish um, broken bones and tissue and, and, and organs that don't work anymore, there's a very good chance he's going to have to extend that and say from the age of 80 to 90, 90 to 100 and beyond, you have to add yeah. some more. I mean, we're going to live a long time. But it's just interesting to see his mindset. A guy who's super successful, crazy successful, like a Zuckerberg or a Jobs, he is very much about saying the next generation of, of, of things that people should be doing is to care and love for each other. He didn't turn around and say about, you know, learning digital. You've got programmers that do all that and artificial intelligence, robotics. They're going to take up a lot of the heavy lifting for that. But you've got to create relationships with people and care for them because that is how you grow an organization and that's how you grow the love between people. I mean, the barriers are being broken down so fast that in Dubai, you've got, what, 200 different nationalities and most of the people I know are in mixed relationships, whether it's a, a Russian guy who married an Indian girl or it's, it's a British guy who married a, a Filipino or what, everybody's mixed. My wife is from Singapore and I'm a Brit. So my daughter is ablation, which is interesting. So, but it comes to a point where you don't even notice. All you see is a lot of really interesting people who bring their own flavor to the conversation. And that's a really good place to be. And I would urge everybody, the most powerful person in any group is the one who's the most flexible, the one who knows and has more of an interest in anybody else. And that's really what I would urge people to do. Well, how can people follow you? I want to make sure people can connect with you to learn about your books and programs. Okay. Um, the, the fastest way to do it is find me on LinkedIn. So if you go to Dave Crane Dubai on LinkedIn, you'll find me and connect with me. Um, I'm going to send you some links. I've got a special gift for everybody who's listening. And I want to share with them some digital stuff, some hypnosis and NLP stuff that will really help you get better abundance and program your mind and a sneak uh, preview of the books as well, which you can have. I'll send you a link for that as well, Ken. Um, and also uh, check me out for my website, Dave Crane Global. Or just Google me, Dave Crane. Somewhere in there, there's something nice about me, hopefully. <laughs> I'm sure there will be. I'll tell you, you really follow the philosophy of what's in it for me as in giving to them the audience this has been a very rich show with lots of nuggets and we look forward to having you in the future book Amplified Gold Nuggets and I look forward to also having many conversations with you in the future about all these great programs and getting our audience uh, really involved in what you're doing so thank you so it's much been, you've been amplified thank you it's been a real honor to be here with you Ken thank you so much alright we'll see you soon thank you very much Thank you for tuning in to Sustainable Success. Be sure to join Chris Salem and his guests every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Have an incredible week.